first by reading Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7, we're going to pick up at verse 17. Deuteronomy 7, verse 17. God's people have not yet entered the promised land, and God is addressing through Moses one of the possible potential issues that may come up while they're in the promised land, the fact that they will forget. So he's going to address remembering, and you'll read it here in Deuteronomy 7, verse 17 through about verse 25. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? That's the same thing they said 40 years before in Numbers 13 and 14 when they entered the promised land to spy it out and they saw the Anakim and they said, oh, we're grasshoppers in our side. Right? How can we do this? It's what they said 40 years before. So notice the Lord is addressing that issue. Fear. These nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what Yahweh, your God, did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your, your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which Yahweh, your God, brought you out. So will Yahweh, your God, do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, Yahweh, your God, will send hornets among them. Until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed, you shall not be in dread of them. For Yahweh your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. Yahweh your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you, but Yahweh your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed, and he will give their kings into your hands, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it from yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to Yahweh your God. You're tempted to say, how can we overcome this? We're afraid. You shall remember, says the Lord. And now we go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1, it's page 1018. If you're using that blue Bible, for those of you who are visiting, we're doing a series through 1 and 2 Peter. We've already done 1 Peter. And we're now deep into 2 Peter. Memories, manners, and mandates for God's minority people. And so verses 12 through 15 have everything to do with verses 3 through 11, and I'll make that clear as we go along. So now we pick up at verse... 12 through 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in them, that you, uh, in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so what I've read to you from Deuteronomy and 2 Peter is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. How often we say to you and we say to one another, I know, I know. But the reality, Lord, is that our hearts and memories are like the sieves that we drain our spaghetti with. And all we know just pours out in every direction until we no longer know. Help us 
to remember. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. There's even a little limerick I wrote at the very bottom. I'll autograph it for you if you think it'll get you some money. But we'll get there at the end of the sermon. But there's the outline for you. You know, every November, I see it and hear it as it crops up, and many of you hear it as well. It begins like this. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason, and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should never be forgot. And of course, the limerick then moves on to tell the rest of the story, the story of Guy Fox and his fellow Catholic co-conspirators as they failed in their attempt to blow up the House of Parliament on the 5th of November, 1605, and so forth. It's a very short poem, very catchy. And inevitably, every 5th of November, I'll see it pop up. So it's cute enough. But it does stress the point that Peter is after in this letter, which comes out clearly in verses 12 through 15. Remember, remember. Today, my friends, we will step back into forgotten mercies. We'll have to go back to verse 9 for a moment. We're going to step back to forgotten mercies, and then we will plunge forward in verses 12 through 15, plunge forward into reminded manners, rousing mementos, and then end with fervent memories. There was the four points. Forgotten mercies, verse 9. We have to step back a few minutes into these forgotten mercies. As we heard last week, Peter is concerned about the shortfalls. And the shortfalls come because or by way of forgotten mercies. Listen to how significant forgetfulness is in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities, verses 5 through 7, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten. What? That he was cleansed from his former sins. These seven qualities are piling onto faith. You remember the seven qualities, right? Oh, look, I just happened to have my tomato cage. Seven qualities, like a tomato cage, supporting us. No, uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These seven qualities piling onto faith. These supplements that give us supports really are essential in our genuine, our walk of genuine faith. As I said last week, if we lack them, we fall flat. We stumble into this trap or into that self-inflicted pit. And so here in verse 9, Peter is addressing the heart. He's addressing the heart of the trouble that he will focus on in all of chapter 2 and almost all of chapter 3. That's why you know this is so important. He spends almost all of his ink on the trouble. And what is going on here? Some, Some Christians have forgotten Forgotten mercies. They have forgotten because they've not flourished in the divine power, verse 3, that gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They've not invested themselves in these qualities, in these supplements and supports. They didn't invest themselves in them. Which means then that they have made themselves vulnerable to the sickening virus of corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, verse 4. 
forgetting and faith-breaking go hand in glove. It's very clear in Scripture. I'm going to read a couple of these to you. One is from Psalm 78. One is from Psalm 106 that we actually read before the confession of sin. But there's lots of places we could go. You heard some of it over in Deuteronomy 7. But here's how it goes in Psalm 78. The Ephraimites armed with a bow turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to His law. They forgot His works and the wonders that He had shown. He had shown them, Psalm 78, verse 9 and 10. Or from what we read before the confession of sin, and then a, a little bit more from Psalm 106. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love that rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Then they believed his words. They sang his praises, but they soon forgot his works. And they did not wait for his counsel. Or Psalm 106, verse 20 and 21, they exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Forgetfulness and faith-breaking go hand in glove. And so in 2 Peter, there are believers who are getting infected with the viral corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, because what they are doing is they are misremembering. That's part of forgetting, is to misremember. They're misremembering or they're just outright forgetting. So just very quickly in chapter 2, I'm going to look at verse, very shortly, verse 16 and then verse 8, or verse 18 and verse 21. There are real predators in chapter 2. Most of chapter 2 has to do with these zombies who never knew Jesus and who are infecting others. That's the zombies, right? The living dead or whatever who are killing everybody or getting everybody sick. But then there are Christians who have become susceptible. They've made themselves vulnerable because they've not invested themselves in these seven qualities. They've made themselves vulnerable to being infected, and that's who Peter's most concerned with. And so, like in verse 20, in verse 18, he says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they, the predators, the zombies, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They're enticing those who are believers but have not invested themselves in the seven qualities. They've forgotten. Or again, down in verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the commandments delivered to them, etc., the problem is forgotten mercies. They forgot that they were cleansed from their sins. They forgot the abundant mercies of God, the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. They forgot. And thus made themselves vulnerable to the sickening virus of corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. The problem is forgotten mercies. Therefore, remember, remember, Peter is saying, so this is why Peter will emphasize reminded manners. Now we're down in verse 12, and we'll stay the rest of our time in verses 12 to 15. Reminded manners. 
And notice how Peter begins verse 12. Therefore, I intend, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, these seven qualities. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. So Peter's going to be a Johnny one note through the rest of this letter. And this one note is to remind them of their manners, these qualities, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, all piled on to faith. It's kind of like being a parent. Right? It's kind of like being a parent where you remind your kids incessantly. You remind your kids because you're not raising children, you're raising adults. Don't rush them into this, but you know where you're headed. You're raising adults, and so you remind them repeatedly. Don't pick your nose in public. How many times do I have to tell you not to pick your nose in public? Right? Or, look, you've got to be respectful when elders, when your elders walk in. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. No, sir, no, ma'am. Those are very fitting and, and all that stuff. You need to remember that. Now, what did you say? No, no, what did you say? Yes, sir. Very good. That's exactly right. You do this all the time. Okay, look, no, you're supposed to open the door for them when they go in and not run in front of them, okay? Let me say that again. You open the door and stand back and let them walk in, then you go in. Why do you keep reminding them? Because they're good manners that make them healthy people, that people will like being around. And you want, their, you want your kids to grow up to be adults that people like to be around, right? Right? Thank you. Yes. It's like parenting. <laughs> and so... Peter is going to remind them. I intend always to remind you. So Peter then highlights that these are qualities that are manners that they are actually already very familiar with. He says at the end of that verse, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. It's a very encouraging statement. You already know these qualities. You're established in the truth that you have. You're always showing signs and evidences. You're already growing in them. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. High five. That's what he's saying to them. You know these things. You're already walking in them. You're already working with these qualities in your life. That makes sense. Because of verse 3. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's what you would expect to see. That's what Peter sees. Well, if that's the case, if God is already at work in them and growing in them these seven qualities, then why in the world is Peter pestering them with these reminders? That's how we hear it. We hear it as pestering. Why is he pestering them with these reminders? Because, my friends, it's too, too easy to let them slip. It's just too easy to let them slip. Complacency. Right, just coasting. I'm, I've put out the effort, now I'm just going to coast the rest of the way. Complacency. Smugness. Well, I'm doing mighty fine. I don't need to work at this anymore. Smugness. Or outright triumphalism. I've arrived. Now, we're good reformed people, and none of us would ever say, I've arrived. But some of us sometimes act like we've arrived. And so complacency, smugness, outright triumphalism can worm their way into our practice, into our every effort, into our diligence in these manners and these qualities and slowly eat us from the inside out. You know, I like to carve, right? And I love to get tree branches. And it's really interesting, the silver maple tree behind our house, you know, drops these branches for me very nicely. Would you drop another branch, please? Yeah. And so it drops these branches, and I pick them up, and I'll start pushing on them to see if there's any decay. 
And you can't tell that there's any problems on the inside most of the time until you pull the bark off. And then all of a sudden, you have these deep gouges where carpenter worms or flathead boars have eaten their way around the branches and then burrowed their way in. Now, I don't want to be crass, but what happens is that they eat the wood and then they... Um, yeah, the, the, the sawdust back in the trail behind them, and so that it solidifies, and when you're pushing on the bark, you can't tell that they've eaten the tree. And they'll burrow their way in, and they will eat the heart out of it. Complacency, smugness, outright triumphalism are like carpenter worms and flathead boars. And they will eat the heart out of us. They will burrow their way into our practice, our every effort and our diligence. Slowly, drip by drip, drop by drop, these seven qualities will slip from our grip and behold, suddenly we will realize we've forgotten. Most people do not fall in an instant. Right? Most people don't fall just all of a sudden out of the blue. Boop! It looks that way to us. But the reality is it's usually a process of forgetting. Forgetting the steadfast love of the Lord. Forgetting and not sticking with what they know is right. And then all of a sudden, bam, it hits them and it's like, and then they ask, how'd that happen? I thought I was serving the Lord. Well, you've got to, you know, did you really remember? My friends, this is the value of things like our improving our doctrine that we do in our liturgy. We did it again today. This is the value, the worth of our rehearsing the catechism instructions with ourselves and with our kids. This is the benefit of the repetitive means of grace, the word, sacraments, and prayer. This is the, the, the significance and the value and the benefit to us of weekly worship, of Sunday school, and so on and so forth. So if you're sliding into the slump of well, I already know all that stuff, so I don't need to be there and attend that Sunday school service or evening service or whatever. I don't need to read the weekly letter because I already know all that stuff. I already know what's in the catechism. I don't need to revisit it. I know. I know. I know. How many of you ever said that to the police officer who pulled you over? I know, sir, I know. I know. Yes, you know them and are established in the way that the truth that you have. But we, you and I, we need these incessant reminders, these doggedly persistent reminders. That's why Peter began this and said, I intend always to remind you because it's just too blasted easy to let them slip. We need to be reminded of our manners. Remember, remember. And so Peter then moves to rousing mementos. Rousing mementos, this is verse 13 and 14. I hope you're following along in your Bibles there. You'll notice in verse 13 and 14, there's an urgency. A deep, quick, ur I mean, a serious urgency here. It's in verse 14. Peter knows that his time is about up. And he just cannot leave well enough alone. He knows his days are short. He just didn't have too many left. So he says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. 
It's kind of like that aging parent who calls you and your siblings over to the house and begins to pass out the memorabilia to you and your kids and begins retelling those stories that you've heard a thousand times. The stories that go along with the memorabilia, the photographs and so forth, they're telling you because they don't want you to forget, because they want to hand on to you this memorable stuff that's part of your identity and history. Brothers, sisters, just as a side note, if your parents call you up and start handing you stuff like that, or your grandparents, and they start telling you a story, shut up and just listen and enjoy it, because they won't be there much longer. But it's just like that. That's what Peter's doing here. Peter knows that his remaining time is short and he wants to urge these believers on to pay more careful attention. And so verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Here is an aging leader, an aging Christian leader who's desirous to rouse his people with renewed commitment and tenacity because, why? Because there are predators out there. There are predators out there who will woo and entice them to forget, who will woo and entice them and muddle things up to cause them to misremember. That's called gaslighting, right? And that's part of what gaslighting is. Will gaslight us. There are those out there who will infect them with the destructive virus poisoning the majority culture, the corruptions in the world because of sinful desire. Peter is care, cares about them. He's worried about the predators out there. And so the rousing mementos run throughout this whole short letter. It started clear back in verse 1. The goodness of God in giving us faith, right? You are those who have received faith of equal standing with ours. It began back there in verse 2. Grace and peace to you. The knowledge of God and through Jesus our Lord. It began back there in verse 3. God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. It began with verse 5 and 7. He gave 5 through 7. He gave us the ability and the, the, the growth in these seven supplements and supports. And Peter will go on with these mementos in verse 16 to the end of this chapter specifically refreshing their memory about how what he saw and what he heard while he strolled along with Jesus down to the Jordan and up the Mount of Transfiguration. He's going to give them bunches of mementos for them to remember, remember. Remember the great things God has done and out of that mercy of God, what comes forth are our manners. Remember, remember. Those, those, he's striving for them to remember. And so Peter urgently gives them rousing mementos. Remember, remember. But he also arouses them with fervent memories. That's verse 15. Verse 15, we're back to the phrase, make every effort. <laughs> verse 15. But notice that Peter is now describing his own role in this fervency. And I will make every effort so that after my departure... You may be able at any time to recall these things. And so as we're to make every effort ourselves to supplement our faith with this team of wholesome qualities, verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, 
etc. As we're to make every effort, Peter now says he will make every effort to aid us in recalling what he has passed on. Now my friends, you may not see this coming, but that's okay because I'm going to take us there. There's a biblical pattern, a scriptural pattern that is, that is assumed in verse 15. And it is being worked out here. And here's the pattern. I received and handed on to you. And then we receive and hold firmly, but we also hand it on to others. I received and passed it on to hand it on to you. You received, held on to it, grew in it, and handed it on to others. That pattern is what Peter is assuming here and working with. And this moves then to the next generation who also receives from us and then they own it and they hand it on. And then the next generation, they receive from them and they own it and they pass it on to the next. And it goes on and on and on. And it's very closely related to remembering. Remembering is not just for ourselves, but for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, both physical and spiritual. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-5, through the very beginning of that great long chapter on the resurrection. Now I would remind you, brothers, of this gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, I deliver to you. I have received it and I pass it on. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and on from there He goes. Or in another place, as He told young Pastor Timothy, and those of you in the adult class for 13 weeks are probably sick and tired of this verse, but here it is again. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to uh, pass it on to others. Further, my friends, this is, the, this is the, what Peter is working on, this memory, this memory, uh, memory car. I'll call it a memory car. He's driving this memory car. Received and handed on to you. Now you hold on to it, remember it, and you pass it on to the next. He's going to drive this memory car all the way through Second Peter. For example, verse 19, he will say, pay attention. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he will say, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you may remember. And then in verse 7, chapter 3, 17, knowing this beforehand, and so on and so forth. Further, my friends, this received and handed on pattern coalesces actually in Scripture. It's not a separate tradition that walks its own path or a separate form of information that is its own, walks its own path, but it ends up coalescing in sacred Scripture. Here's what I mean. Paul praised the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, and we also thank God for this constantly that when you receive the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it is, the word of God that is at work in you believers. As we publicly declare to you and handed on to you the word of God, you welcomed it, you received it. That's the way you're supposed to. But then, 
In 2 Thessalonians, he goes on to say, and encourage these young Christians, just a few months after he wrote 1 Thessalonians, he says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. Notice that Paul's public proclamation of what he wrote in his letters is identical. The tradition. And so the receiving, holding on, and passing on all coalesces in Scripture. What was received by the apostles was passed on, being, having been, even being written down in their letters is the way this is meant to be. It was received, and now it is to be passed on. Which is exactly what Peter will go on to do in first, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16, which we will pick up on the Sunday after Easter. But for now, brothers and sisters, take this sermon and take this passage as a call to remember, remember. And take this as a plug for the significantly important habit, for example, of remembering by reading Scripture regularly. Read the Bible. If you can't read because of dyslexia or 15 kids in the round of the house, or whatever the problem is, right? I get it. There are lots of audio versions out there for free. Listen then. But read the sacred scriptures so that way you can remember, remember. But also take this sermon and this passage as guidance for you. Wherever you end up settling in for a church, maybe you're here now and then you get the orders to move in six weeks or whatever, you're going somewhere else, let this be some guidance. Maybe you're just visiting us. Let this be some guidance for you that wherever you settle in for church, ensure of all the things that really please you in that church. Oh, they got this wonderful care group or youth group and they've got this and they got that. Beautiful, wonderful. But whatever else, ensure that they read sacred scripture and they read a lot of it and they read it in public and they preach it and teach it. Let this be some guidance for you. To make that a top priority when you're looking for a church. That they don't shy away from all the biblical redundancies. And the Bible can be very redundant at times because it's busy. Remember, remember. That's what it's trying to do. And they don't shy away from the redundancies and they don't shy away from the uncomfortable passages. But also, dear friends, take this as encouragement to not give up. But to persist in teaching your children. I know what it's like to be a dad and you're just frustrated because it doesn't feel like the kids want to learn anything. They fight you. They argue with you. I mean, none of my kids ever argue with me, so I don't know what your problem is, right? And sometimes you just want to give up. You know what I mean? I mean, okay, we did. I don't know about the rest of you, but we did. Frustrated. Don't give up. Let this be encouragement to not give up. To teach your kids, take up the catechism, regularly work with them through it, for example, or, or other things, working through the scriptures. For yourself, reread, reread solid books, reread, don't just read one time, reread solid books that are gospel grounded and faithful to scripture. Now, this is going to sound funny because you know my library, right? But you should have, out of all the books you want to read, don't always be enamored with the newest thing out there. 
Make sure you have a small little section of really solid books that you're going to come back and read again in a year or two or three. And revisit those. You know, I, I guarantee this is what will happen. You'll read them and you'll go, I didn't remember that was in there. And then you'll think, oh, right, Pastor Mike talked about that in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15 when he was talking about remember, remember. That's what we're supposed to do. Have a small group of books you go back to that are very gospel-centered and Bible-grounded and go back to them and read them again every so often as part of remember, remember. But dear friends, do all of these things with an eye to fostering these wholesome manners for yourself and for your family, supplementing your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, uh, brotherly affection, and love. And as you do it, I want you to know that our God and Savior Jesus Christ is on your side. I want you to know as you do that, our God and Savior Jesus Christ is on your side. Well, Pastor, how do you know? Because He gave you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Grace and peace are multiplied by Him. He gave you faith. What more do you need to hear? That He's on your side for crying out loud. Here, is that good? Did I get your attention? Oh, right? He's on your side. As you do these things, no, He's on your side. He's even granting you the power of all things that pertain to life and godliness. And yes, remember, remember. But dear friends, instead of remembering the gunpowder plot, try this one on for size. It's a little limerick I wrote at the end of the sermon. Remember, remember the God of all grace who gives you all things to run in this race. Recall how he supports you and supplements faith. Endeavor, endeavor to thrive in this grace. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we are so grateful that your divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh Lord, may we recall, may we remember, may we bring back to mind over and over again, every time we are tempted Every time we start talking to ourselves and giving ourselves permission and excuses to sin and to compromise, may we remember and recall how good you are and what you have done for us, that it may rouse in us these good manners you have blessed us with. Lord, may we be encouraged. May we see ourselves and one another growing in these supplements and supports, knowing them and establishing the truth that we have. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with any who are listening, who maybe have wandered away, that this might be the moment when they return to the fold and come back home. All these things, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.